You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. This afternoon we'll be focusing on the topic of God's providence, especially as it relates to evil in this world. And in connection with that, we'd like to read from Second Samuel 16, the verses 5 through 14, and then chapter 19, the second half of verse 18 through to verse 23. Second Samuel 16, beginning at verse 5. Absalom has rebelled against his father, David. David is caused to flee from Jerusalem. We pick it up at verse 5 in chapter 16. As King David approached Beurim, a man from the same clan as Saul's family came out from there. His name was Shimei, son of Girah. And he cursed as he came out. He pelted David and all the king's officials with stones, though all the troops and the special guard were on David's right and left. And as he cursed, Shimei said, Get out! Get out, you man of blood, you scoundrel! The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has handed the kingdom over to your son Absalom. You have come to ruin because you are a man of blood. Then Abishai, the son of Zariah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and cut off his head. But the king said, What do you and I have in common, you sons of Zariah? If he is cursing because the Lord said to him, Curse David, who can ask, Why do you do this? David then said to Abishai and all his officials, My son, who is of my own flesh, is trying to take my life. How much more than this Benjaminite? Leave him alone. Let him curse. For the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will see my distress and repay me with good for the cursing I am receiving today. So David and his men continued along the road while Shimei was going along the hillside opposite him, cursing as he went and throwing stones at him and showering him with dirt. The king and all the people with him arrived at their destination exhausted. And there he refreshed himself. We turn now to Second Samuel 19. The rebellion by Absalom has been quashed. Absalom has been put to death. David is making his way back to Jerusalem. Chapter 19, verse 18, beginning halfway the verse there. When Shimei, son of Girah, crossed the Jordan, he fell prostrate before the king and said to him, May my Lord not hold me guilty. Do not remember how your servant did wrong on the day my lord the king left Jerusalem. May the king put it out of his mind. For I, your servant, know that I have sinned. But today I have come here as the first of the whole house of Joseph to come down and meet my lord the king. Then Abishai, son of Zariah, said, Shouldn't Shimei be put to death for this? He cursed the Lord's anointed. David replied, What do you and I have in common, you sons of Zariah? 
This day you have become my adversaries. Should anyone be put to death in Israel today? Do I not know that today I am king over Israel? So the king said to Shimei, You shall not die. And the king promised him on oath. This afternoon then, we'll be looking at the providence of God. We'll be doing that along the lines of our confession, Belgian Confession, Article 13. Having confessed that God has created all things, we confess with the Belgian Confession, we believe that this good God, after he had created all things, did not abandon them or give them up to fortune or chance. But that, according to his holy will, he so rules and governs them that in this world nothing happens without his direction. Yet God is not the author of the sins which are committed, nor can he be charged with them. For his power and goodness are so great and beyond understanding that he ordains and executes his work in the most excellent and just manner, even when devils and wicked men act unjustly. And as to his actions surpassing human understanding, we will not curiously inquire further than our capacity allows us, but with the greatest humility and reverence, we adore the just judgments of God which are hidden from us, and we content ourselves that we are pupils of Christ who have only to learn those things which he teaches us in his word without transgressing these limits. This doctrine gives us inexpressible consolation. For we learn thereby that nothing can happen to us by chance, but only by the direction of our gracious Heavenly Father. He watches over us with fatherly care, keeping all creatures so under his power that not one hair of our head, for they are all numbered, nor one sparrow can fall to the ground without the will of our Father. In this we trust, because we know that he holds in check the devil and all our enemies so that they cannot hurt us without his permission and will. We therefore reject the damnable error of the Epicureans who say that God does not concern himself with anything but leaves all things to chance. Brothers and sisters in Christ, would you call God good? Article 13 does. God is good. This good God. God is good, for there is no evil in God. God can't stand evil. And yet, bad things happen in our world. Adversity and sin are part and parcel of human life. Hurricane Sandy spilled water over dikes and embankments while wind tore at trees and buildings, property damage was extensive, lives were lost. Hurricanes, tornadoes, 
the nor'easter of this past week, earthquakes, droughts, wildfires, stillborn children, heart disease, cancer, Alzheimer's, disabilities, adversity abounds. And sometimes the evil is not what we would call natural. Take the ice that fell onto the deck of the Portman Bridge early in the winter. That could have been prevented. We know many disasters involve some element of human error. Maybe they're unwilled, but human involvement is there nonetheless. I think of the bus crash in Oregon, or it's a while ago, but the oil well that blew in the Gulf of Mexico. And sometimes, sometimes evil is willed. The horror of Newtown, Connecticut will be with us for a while. The violence in Syria. In our world, there's evil that is knowingly committed, that is willed. So where's God in all of this? Sandy, why did God create that storm? The Portman Bridge, why did man's folly have to be shown up when the public had just begun using the world's widest bridge? And Newtown, Connecticut, that there's so much God could have done. Where is God in all of this? And we confess that the good God, according to His holy will, so rules and governs all things that in this world, nothing happens without His direction. So the answer to that question, where is God in all of this, is everywhere. Everywhere. No one less than the Lord Jesus Christ taught that without our Father's will, not a sparrow falls to the ground, not a hair can fall from our head. It doesn't get more mundane than that. God directed how many drops of water would spill into New York. God directed where the ice bombs would fall. And God directed the flight paths of the bullets. Beloved, this afternoon we pay attention to that very thorny and sensitive matter of God and evil. I came to writing this sermon recently. I first preached it in Abbotsford just after the new year. When a senior catechism student, upon learning Lord's Day 9, asked in class, Sir, God sends adversity? And then a week later, Newtown, Connecticut happened. I wrote something in the local bulletin, raised a lot of questions, and given those questions, I suggested to the Abbotsford Consistory that I write a sermon on this, and they thought it was a good idea. And so we think on the matter of God and evil. As we do so, we're pondering the imponderable. We're seeking to explain the inexplicable. And I say that before we begin. We're not going to get very far. We'll see how Scripture speaks. 
how God himself describes his interaction with evil, we'll learn the limits of our understanding. But we will not doubt God's goodness. Our faith will be strengthened. We'll close with Lord's Day 10. And we'll end this service by singing the rhyme version of Romans 8. We listen to God's instruction summed up with this theme. Our almighty Father is in control of all things, also evil. And we'll consider, first of all, what evil is. Secondly, where evil comes from. And thirdly, how evil is related to God. First of all, what evil is. The word evil immediately conjures up in our minds the image of intentional badness. And so describing the flooding that was caused by Sandy as evil may sound a little strange. But the thing is, in Scripture, there's just one word here. In some places it's translated evil. In other places it's translated harm, disaster, or trouble. And maybe Maybe badness would be a better word, but that's not a word we commonly use. Anyway, even though both Hebrew and Greek, the original languages of Scripture, may use one word, we do well to make a distinction. We distinguish between the evil of disaster and the evil of disobedience. We'll call it the evil of suffering and the evil of sin. The flooding caused by Sandy, that's the evil of disaster, the evil of suffering. The flooding that Sandy caused, that that was just plain bad. I should make a further comment on that word yet in Scripture. The words that the Bible uses for evil, disaster, trouble, that, that word is the opposite to the word used for good. And good especially in Hebrew, has the flavor of suited for a purpose. When God had created all things, he looked and behold, everything was very good. Everything was exactly as God had intended it to be. It could do the job God had designed it for. And so if something is not good, if it's evil, you might say it is malfunctioning. It's not doing what it's supposed to be doing. And that's what we see happen with what we tend to call natural disasters. Such events cause chaos while God created order. That's why they won't exist in the future world, in the new creation. Disasters like Hurricane Sandy are part of what the Apostle Paul refers to as the groaning of creation. The deaths in Connecticut, that's the evil of disobedience, the evil of sin. The evil of sin is more complex than the evil of disaster. Sin is disobedience to God's command of love and loyalty. God created human beings to be his image, to be the likeness of God. One side to that is 
true righteousness and holiness. God's will for our lives is expressed as follows. You shall love God and your neighbor. Those who keep the law of love, they're righteous and holy. Those who don't, sin. By definition, sin is an act of selfishness. Sin is not caring about others to the extent of hurting others. Sin proceeds from self-centeredness. Sin is turning your back on God. It is missing the purpose of your life. It is rebelling against God. It is being out of line with God's guidelines for life. And the evil of sin differs from the evil of suffering in that the evil of sin involves a being, a creature, a person with an own will and a freedom to act contrary to God's command. A storm such as Sandy cannot disobey God. A storm has no moral side to it, no will. Nor does cancer. But a human being does. That's how God made us. And not only us, angels have wills as well. The evil of disaster is where creation simply does not function as it was intended to. The evil of disobedience is where intelligent creatures, for whatever reason, do not function as God intended them to. For angels, sin means leaving their original position of serving. And for humans, sin means acting in a self-centered way. Sandy, that's the evil of suffering. Newtown, Connecticut, that's the evil of sin. The Portman Bridge, that's a little more complex. There's a bit of both. For it's the combination of human engineering and the weather conditions. There's a further point that needs to be made about sin. Scripture distinguishes between intentional and unintentional sin. We can sin without realizing it. Be it because we didn't know that something was sin, or or because we didn't realize what the consequences of our actions would be. We can also sin knowingly, sin on purpose. And when it comes to the Portman Bridge, hopefully time will tell us, that engineers had indeed misjudged the situation. But it may also tell us that they knowingly ran a risk. Now where there's the evil of sin, there will always be the evil of suffering. Think of King David being cursed by Shimei. Shimei was sinning. He says so himself. David was suffering on account of the sinning of Shimei. And when you think about it a little more, maybe we shouldn't be talking about the evil of suffering and the evil of sin, but the evil that is caused by disaster or the evil that is caused by disobedience. Disaster, that's about the curse under which creation groans. Creation doesn't function as God had originally intended it to. 
And disobedience is about the sins committed by creatures with a will. Creatures deliberately not fulfilling their role as God had originally created them to. So evil, badness, at bottom is things not being the way God had originally made them to be. Things not being the way God originally had made them to be. A storm is evil. Sin is evil. Makes sense for scripture to use the same term here. Evil is things not being as they should be. And that raises two questions. First, where did evil come from? And second, what's the connection, the relationship between evil and God in our world today? We come to the second point, where evil comes from. We begin with disasters. Why does a storm like Sandy happen? Why do people get cancer? Why does death and destruction surround us? Well, it's all because creation has been placed under the burden of a curse. Genesis 3 recounts how God cursed the ground so that man would have to toil, fighting thorns and thistles, eating food in the sweat of his brow, until he would die and become dust again. Any new human life would come through labor and pain. You can go on. Creation was subjected to decay, to futility, we read in Romans 8.22. Life, in and of itself, without God, is a meaningless endeavor, said the preacher. And in Genesis 3, we read how things changed. God shuts the way to paradise, no trespassing. Man and woman left wearing clothes made of animal skins. The snake slithered away on its belly, licking the dust as it went, without legs, shamed. You see it right there. Creation no longer functioned the way it was supposed to. But though creation changed in the way it functioned, this did not mean that God had lost control. God would employ enmity, that's an evil, to punish mankind, but also to save mankind. Psalm 97 speaks of earthquakes and lightning being indicators of God's might. And and Jesus' divinity is proven, among others, by his control over wind and water. Avalanches, tornadoes, earth tremors, lightning strikes. They are acts of God. So evil in the sense of disasters finds its origin in the curse imposed by God upon creation. And the reason for God placing this world under a curse points us to the origin of the evil of sin. Now, for the sake of time, I'm going to be brief here. Even the youngest among us will know the facts. 
In Paris, paradise, Adam and Eve disobeyed God's command. Lord's Day 4 notes that this disobedience was deliberate. Deliberate. An older version said, by their willful disobedience. Man chose to sin. The entrance of sin into our world is the responsibility of us human beings. The origin of the evil of disobedience in our human world has its origin with us. Let's never forget that. We allowed evil into this world. We brought evil into this world. But hang on, someone will say, doesn't the catechism also say at the instigation of the devil? Yes, that's true. The devil was sinning as well. But the fact that the devil was urging humans to sin does not absolve humans of their responsibility. In fact, it makes it all the worse. Humans were created in the likeness of God, an honor that was not even accorded to angels. The devil as an angel was of a lower rank than mankind. So humans stooped to listen to a lower creature. It's clear that evil in the sense of sin, of disobedience to God, existed before Adam and Eve disobeyed God's command to eat of the forbidden tree. It existed with the devils. So where did that evil come from? How did some of the angels come to be sinful? We don't exactly know. We do know that all the angels were created by God. Colossians 1. We also know that some of these angels fell from their original position. Letter of Jude. But we don't know when angels were created. We don't know when some of those angels fell. We don't even know exactly what their first sin was. Though given the activity of devils, it has something to do with pride. You see, Satan and the evil spirits constantly try to control humans instead of serve them as they originally would. But God has not told us much about this. And thus we need to keep our curiosity in check. And thus, when it comes to evil as such, we don't exactly know how it came to be. We do know originally it didn't exist. We know it somehow made an entrance into the world of spirits. But we're very clear on this, that we as human beings willfully allowed evil into our world. And as such, it's worthwhile when pondering the reality of evil and especially the evil of sin, it's well worthwhile to remember that it wasn't God, but it was us human beings who allowed evil into this world. And that brings us to our third thought. 
evil in relation to God. Evil is things not being the way God originally intended them to be. Humans willfully allowed evil into our world. But God can prevent evil. He is almighty and he is good. Instead, we find that evil continues. In fact, we find that God even uses evil. What are we to make of this? Well, to come to grips with this, we need to consider what Scripture teaches on how God takes care of creation, even the hairs on our head. That's called the doctrine of providence. And generally, providence is considered from three perspectives. The perspective of preservation, the perspective of cooperation, and the perspective of governing. Preservation, and that's about how God keeps everything the same and going. God ensures that the seasons come and go, that that the stars and planets and all the other space things hold to their orbits, that that birds migrate at the allotted times, that plants grow, that animals are born, that the people have food to eat, etc. By way of illustration, think of what a mechanic is to an airplane, a mechanic to an airplane. As a mechanic maintains a plane, so God maintains creation. Cooperation, the second perspective, is also called concurrence. That's about how God interacts with creatures in events. In any event, God plays a role, it is said, and a creature may play a role. God gives a lion energy, has the lion see a zebra, and so the lion jumps the zebra. In that case, the illustration is more like what a pilot is to an airplane. The pilot causes the plane to move. That's how God causes things to happen in creation. And then thirdly, governments. Government, that's about how God directs events so that his purposes are accomplished. His decree, his will takes place. God has decided that the zebra should die, so the lion pulls off the kill. Or think here of what we confess with Lord's Day 1. All things must work together for my salvation. In this case, the illustration would be that of the control tower in relation to an airplane. The control tower has the airplane fly in a certain space, berth at a certain gate. So we have preservation, cooperation, and governments. If a creature is a plane, God is the mechanic, he preserves, he is the pilot, he cooperates with the plane. And he's the control tower directing the plane to a destination. Now all those three touch the matter of God and evil. From the perspective of preservation, God has righteous and sinners live. 
As the Apostle Paul said, in God we live and move and have our being. That's also true for unbelievers. From the perspective of governments, we confess that God is able even to turn evil into good. A classic illustration for that is how Joseph's brothers meant harm to Joseph, but God turned it to good. As to the perspective of cooperation, things are a little bit more complicated here. To understand that cooperation thing well, we have to think about something else. Something called primary and secondary causes. It's often argued, God is the primary cause of all things and creatures are the secondary cause. Picture the carcass of an animal rotting in the sun. That stinks. In this case, this illustration The sun is the primary cause of the stench and the carcass is the secondary cause. Now in relation to evil, it will be said that God is the primary cause and man is the secondary cause. God gives man the energy to sin. God gives man a will to choose what to do. Man then chooses to use the energy to sin. And the neat thing about that approach is that God then is no way, in no way responsible for man's sin. Think again about the carcass. We'll say that the carcass stinks. We're not going to say that the sun stinks. And so we say man sins. We don't say God sins. However, however, If you think deeply about that explanation, you may realize there are some serious flaws here. That works really great for Pelagians, for semi-Pelagians, and for Arminians, for they believe that man can act independent of God, contrary to God's will. Man has a free will. But the Reformed will argue that God does more than just give energy for man to act. God is at work in man to act, either inclining man's action to good or inclining it to evil. God may soften a person's heart. God may harden a person's heart. Romans 9. And the account we read from from Second Samuel gives us a good illustration here. Did it strike you what David said about Shimei cursing him? 2 Samuel 16, verse 12. Leave him alone. Let him curse. For the Lord has told him to. David was convinced that the Lord had told Shimei to curse him. And upon David's return, Shimei confesses to David that his act had been a sin. In other words, the Lord had told Shimei to sin. There are more examples of this sort of thing in Scripture. I'll mention just one more. It's the night when the Lord Jesus was betrayed. The Lord Jesus is eating with his disciples. 
He's just indicated that Judas Iscariot will betray him. The other disciples don't catch on. And then we read in John 13, verse 27, As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. Jesus told him, What you are about to do, do quickly. Ever thought about that? Jesus told Judas to betray him. It's quite common for Christians to consider sin something God permits, something God allows. God gives the energy unto sin, frees the slack on the leash, Satan can do as he wants. God still holds the leash, but he can yank on it if need be. And that way of understanding providence and evil goes all the way back to Augustine. Many men of the Great Reformation saw it in this way as well. It's a way of looking at this issue. It's very popular among Protestants today. But there was one reformer who had a different view. Early on in his life, he saw things the way Augustine did. But over time, he came to realize Scripture doesn't speak of God's indirect involvement in evil. But God is directly involved. To the point even of actively steering it. Think of Shimei being told by the Lord to curse David. And the name of the reformer who saw things differently, I'm probably guessing it already, that was John Calvin. And it's Calvin's understanding that our confession tends to follow. That whole thing about cooperation goes unmentioned in our confessions. And yes, we do find the words from Augustine, allow and permits. We don't have anything about primary and secondary causes. It would seem that Guido de Bre, observing how various reformers thought differently on the issue, figured one should not try to say too much on this score. Hence, we will not curiously inquire further than our capacity allows it. And beloved, that's the wisdom of the Reformed, especially those with a Dutch heritage. Don't tie yourself down to scholastic formulations and distinctions. In regards to providence, that's also very much Calvin, who argued that other Reformers, they were being far too philosophical on this matter. Now, that's an interesting comment for someone like Calvin to make, because he was trained as a humanist lawyer. Now, he wrote that marvelous, a marvelous piece on providence in his institutes. And what you read there is Calvin just quotes text after text after text to make a point. Where evil is concerned, God's providence is much more, says Calvin, than God allows bad things to happen. No, God wills it to happen. You've probably read over it all of your life, but Belgian Confession, Article 13, has that in it too. They cannot hurt us without His permission and will. Not only permission, also will. Now, Guido de Bres stopped there. But Calvin takes it even a step further. He says, God commands evil to happen. God commands evil to happen. One of his proof texts. Shimmy. 
And if you read through the scripture quotes that Calvin notes, you can't be impressed that Calvin is right. God permits evil. God wills evil. God commands evil. Why? The most evil deed ever committed, the betrayal of the Christ of God, was commanded by the Christ himself. But doesn't make, doesn't that make God the author of sin? You know, Calvin indeed came very close to saying that. I quote, this is from Calvin. I have already shown plainly enough that God is called the author of all the things that these fault finders would have happened only by his indolent permission. He declares, God declares, that he creates light and darkness, that he forms good and bad, that nothing evil happens that he himself has not done. Mind you, Calvin did not consider that this excused people from their sins. So is God the author of sin? Two remarks on that score. First of all, what do we mean when we say author? Well, to Confession Article 13 says, Yet God is not the author of the sins which are committed, nor can he be charged with them. The point is that God cannot be held accountable for the sins that occur by his permission, by his will, and I too would add by his command. God did not curse David. Shimei did. God did not betray Jesus. Judas did. Just like the sun doesn't stink, the carcass does. The point is we can't say the way many pagans would say, God made me sin. What could I do? No, God created man with a will that could resist sin. Therefore, man himself carries the full responsibility for his sins. Is God the author of sin? No. Not in the sense that God carries the blame for sin. Second, Consider that what makes an act sinful is not just the act itself, but the intention of the act. For that we can go to Joseph. Joseph says to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Or take Shimei. David figures God might have a righteous purpose in having Shimei curse him. Think of that well-known text on God's providence, Romans 8, verse 28. After speaking about the, the suffering in this world, the groaning of creation, our own personal struggles, our imperfect prayers to God, the Spirit then says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God does not sin. For everything he does is a display of his righteousness and mercy. The angelic world may have malfunctioned, so now there are devils. Human beings may have malfunctioned, so now there are sinners and there's evil in this world. 
But God is unchangeable. God does not malfunction. God is good. Now, we often don't see the good and evil. But God does. God can avert evil, and who knows how much evil God restrains every day. But God can also turn it to our benefits. And knowing that God purposes good, even with evil, that gives us peace. We're not called to understand. We're called to believe, to have faith. Think of Job. Think of Golgotha. Yes, think of Golgotha. There's that question. Why doesn't God do anything about evil? Beloved, He is. He is. He sent the Christ. We're on our way to a new creation in which there will be no evil. It's just that we're not there yet. And we have to bide God's time. And so we pray, Lord, help us endure. Our Almighty Father is in control of all things, also evil. We've been pondering the imponderable. We've learned Scripture teaches us that God does more than just allow evil to happen. He wills it. One can even say, think of Shimei, He commands it. Did I explain it? No. How evil came to be in God's good world, how God interacts with evil today, that's a mystery of the faith. That's a mystery of the faith, just like we can't explain the Trinity, we can't explain the two natures of Jesus Christ. Our confession says it well. Let us content ourselves that we are pupils of Christ who have only to learn those things which he teaches us in his word without transgressing these limits. And so, beloved, we have faith in a God who allows evil, who wills evil, a God who can even be said to command evil. Is that wise? Yes. For our God is not an evil God. He is the God of love. He is the God who is almighty. Your God is not just God. He is your Father. So take to heart what the Belgian Confession also says. This doctrine gives us inexpressible comforts, consolation. For we learn thereby that nothing, not even evil, can happen to us by chance, but only by the direction of our gracious Heavenly Father. What does it benefit us? To know that God has created all things and He he still upholds them by His providence. We can be patient in adversity, that's evil, thankful in prosperity. And with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from His love. For all creatures, even the devil, are so completely in His hand that without His will, they cannot so much as move. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, 
please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.